There are a few lies in life that are easier to believe than the lie that money can give you a good life. So when I um, first started seminary, I was poor. How poor, some of you might ask. I was so poor that all of my worldly possessions could fit in the back of my 1990 Chevy Cavalier station wagon. So that's right. I had a bag of clothes, like one bag of clothes. I had, of course, uh, several dozen theology books and a car that was just awesome. So this car, um, when it rained, there was a leak in it, and so the floorboards would get wet. At first, I was like, oh, that's just annoying. Like, it's always wet. And then, and then it started to rust, and it rusted so much so that the front two bolts on my, um, or the back two bolts on my driver's side seat actually rusted out so that my driver's side seat was like a rocking chair. I was so poor that as I was driving, I was just like, oh, it's kind of nice. I was so poor, though, I couldn't, I couldn't fix it. I couldn't afford to fix it. So I took a cinder block and propped up the, the chair, which is probably not to code. Um, wouldn't recommend it, kids. I had an efficiency apartment with a good friend of mine, roommate. And the, the efficiency was so small that you could literally, from, from the edge of my bed, I could fry an egg on the stovetop. <laughs> Just really convenient. Breakfast in bed every morning. It was great. The uh, the the best is the the landlord um, slumlord um, wouldn't fix the heater when it broke. And you know it's Texas, so that's not that big a deal. But in the middle of winter, there's a few times where it gets like icy cold, and um, and so we just would open up the oven, and it was small enough we'd like preheat the room to 250. And uh, that's how we heated our room in the winter, and then, uh, and then the rats came. And so we'd be in bed, and remember, we're just talking like a couple feet away, or the, or the cabinets, we'd hear the cabinets open and close, and, <laughs> and, um, uh, and just when we thought it couldn't get any worse, that's when the rats decided to nest underneath the stove, because it was warm. And so we'd preheat our room. The only way to stay warm was we'd heat our room, and we would smell roasting rat urine. <laughs> you haven't quite lived until you've <laughs> heated yourself with hot rat poop. So I'm not going to lie. A few extra dollars would have made a big difference in my life at that time. But I don't think you're going to be terribly surprised when I say... Um, all of those things, in spite of all that, that was not, for me, a particularly unhappy time. Like, it wasn't. I was doing what I loved. I was in seminary. I was dating the girl that I loved. I was, uh, I was, uh, I was with good friends, doing life with really good friends. I had great roommates and friends. And so all of those things, that, as hard as it was, and as bad as hot rat poop is, and as terrible as my car was, and as much as I needed new clothes, a new car, I needed a new place to live, I needed all of that, or at least wanted all of that. It was not, for me, an unhappy time. Those were good years. And I had nothing to do with money. And then about, about the same time, though, so this, this, that's how I'm living. At the same time, I joined a church in North Dallas. And if you think of Dallas wealth, you're thinking of North Dallas. You're thinking of McMansions and big hair and, you know, like Dallas, well, big cars. Like one of the kids in our, uh, that I, I discipled in our um, youth group drove a Hummer. <laughs> yeah. So brand new Hummer, and I'm driving my old beater. Um, Everyone in North Dallas looks so good. 
Like you go to the grocery store, and it's like all the moms are like doing on the catwalk. It's like, what is this? You, you, uh, you, you get to know the dads, and they're wearing like $500 shoes, and they, they got the big office. The kids literally have everything money could possibly buy. But then I began to serve those families, and I discovered something that I don't think you're going to be too surprised about. It's that underneath that perfect family photo, you know, the one where they, like, hired the professional to come do a photography session with them, and they're all wearing matchy-matchy things on the exotic beach. You, you know that one. Underneath that one, you will find the same brokenness, the same slavery to sin, the same hurt that all of us feel. Money is no indicator of peace, joy, or freedom. Money says to you, I can give you a good life. But money is a liar. The life that you and I so desperately want is not for sale. It's not. It has nothing to do with how much money you have. And, and, and here's the thing. I'm a pastor, and like you're at church, and I don't think anyone's surprised right now. I think you know this one, right? Money is a liar. I think you know that. And I don't think anyone came in here like, what? My, you blew my mind. What? I can't buy happiness in life and a good life? That, no, I mean, you know that. And I think we know that. But I'm not sure if our hearts believe it. And I'm not, I'm not even pointing the finger at someone. I'm, I'm the first one to be convicted by this. When I open up the Word of God and read Jesus' teaching on this, and I listen to what he says, I'm like, oh, no, i got to start giving things away here. Like, I'm the first one who's like, maybe I'm too comfortable. Maybe I'm believing the lie. Maybe, maybe I've actually been giving too much of my life to stuff. And let me tell you, I do not want my life to be about stuff. Life is about so much more than our possessions. It's about so much more than, than what we can do and what we can spend on ourselves. I don't want that for me and I don't want that for you. And so today we're going to talk about money, but we're not going to talk about money. We're going to talk about how do we get out from underneath this lie? The lie that money can give you a good life. The lie that money makes you someone. The lie. How do we get out from underneath the thinking that your life is somehow for sale? You are worth more than that. How do we get out from, from the binds that hold us in financial debt? And how do we find true freedom by binding our heart to God? So our text for today is middle of the Sermon on the, Sermon on the Mount, just a few verses. If you have your scriptures, I'd encourage you to turn there. It's Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, we're going to start in verse 19. We're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus is up there on a mountainside. His disciples come to him, and there's these big crowds, and he begins to teach them. And he's teaching them about the way of peace and joy and love, the way life is supposed to look like. Like when he shows you a picture of this is what true freedom, true True joy, true love, what life is supposed to look like. And then in chapter 6, in the middle of this section, verse 19, he says, let's talk about money. And it starts like this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Now, I want you to notice something. He calls them treasures. Treasure. So, so right off the bat, we're not talking about evil things here. He's not saying homes and cars and clothes and big jobs and nice shoes and good sticks. He's not saying those things are evil. Those are good gifts from God. The scriptures teach that clearly. He calls them treasures. And there's something to that. 
Like, I get it. Like, I've seen the way my wife responds when she has on a new pair of jeans. Like, she's a new person. It's wonderful. I felt what it's like to drive a really, really nice car. Mercedes-Benz SL500 through Dallas, brand new. I've experienced what Germans call Farfignugen, right? Like, I'm taller when I drive that car. I'm, I'm certain of it. Like, I've tasted a $50 steak, and yes, it is that much better than Golden Corral, friends. Like, <laughs> these things are not bad. In fact, eating a $50 steak is holy. <laughs> but if I spend my life chasing these things, in the end, I'll have nothing to show. Everything you own, every single thing is going to end up in a trash heap or owned by someone else. Everything. So my great aunt and great uncle, they, um, they were r- rather wealthy. Um, and they, uh, they spent their lives, like all their free time, literally traveling the globe and amassing this giant kind of exotic antique collection. I mean, things that were worth at least hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. I mean, it was insane. Like they, so they spent their lives doing this. And then, um, and then as things happened, my, my, my great aunt, she died. And as is often the case, he, like, I don't know, something happened. And, and like a month or two later, he died. Boom, boom. And so suddenly they'd spent their whole lives amassing this collection. And then the kids come in. And right after the funeral, I go to visit my grandmother. And she tells me in horror that their kids, who never much appreciated mom and dad, didn't have the greatest of a relationship, and who did not value their collection, as soon as mom and dad died, well, she pulls up to their house for the auction they're going to have, and there are these rows after row of folding tables, and they've taken their entire life collection, set it up on, on these folding tables, and they're selling it like a big yard sale. That, that right alongside of this exotic antique that they've traveled the globe to find, you would find the juicer they picked up at Walmart. <laughs> Jesus is saying, don't store things up. Don't store these things up. Don't invest your life, your ambition, your hopes, your passion, your best years of your life in things that are going to end up auctioned by your kids because they don't like you or care about it. Your life is worth more than that. Do not store that up, verse 20, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, that you should invest your life, your ambition, your passion, the best years of your life. Invest that in things that the world can't take away, that can't be auctioned, things that will last forever, things that can't be sold next to a juicer from Walmart. So I want you to listen to what Jesus is saying here. Um, He's not talking about money. He isn't, he isn't. Jesus doesn't need your money. The man can speak things into existence. Like never once has he been like, shoot, I really want that, but I don't have enough. Can I borrow a hundred bucks? Like never. He's never once not had enough. He has everything he wants Jesus does not want your money. What Jesus wants is so much bigger. Verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 
He wants your heart. And he knows that your heart will follow your treasure. Period. So this is counterintuitive. So, I, you know, I think, like, um, if I were there on that mountainside, you know, 2,000 years ago, I was like, this might be one place where I'd be like, Ex- excuse me, Jesus, I, I know you're the perfect son of God, but I'm pretty sure you, you, you misstated that. I'm pretty sure you made a little mistake there. I'm pretty sure what you meant to say was, um, for where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. Because that's what you've said everywhere else in the Sermon on the Mount. Right? Your, your heart. Your heart, your actions follow your heart. That's what you say over and over and over again. So, so, so if I put my heart into my house, it will become my treasure. That's what you say everywhere else, right? So, so when you want to deal with the issue of adultery, you don't deal with adultery. You deal with the heart. If you deal with the lust in the heart, you don't have to worry about adultery. And murder, you don't deal with murder. If you deal with uh, hatred in the heart, you don't even have to worry about murder. That it's a heart first. You always deal with a heart first. So you see, Jesus, what you meant to say is for where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. But here's the thing. Jesus didn't make a mistake. So... Jesus is saying, and I want you to listen to this. This is, Jesus is saying that treasure generally, and money in particular, has sway over your heart. Maybe in a way that like nothing else does. That what you own affects your soul. That what you own can own you. That possessions, money, debt, treasures, these have direct effect over your soul. That, that to put it this way, and this is a, a, a summary from, from a brilliant guy, from uh, the late scholar genius gentleman, John Stott. He would put it this way from this text. Your treasure tethers itself to your heart. With every dollar you spend, every hour of your life you invest into something. Every thought you give to that stuff, to that project, with every dollar you spend, your treasure tethers itself to your heart. Your heart then follows your treasure. So I've asked uh, Erica Benedict to come up, help us illustrate this one. Um, some of you, if you've been here for three or four years, have maybe seen this before. I thought it'd be helpful to dust this one off today. So this is Erica. Let's give Erica a hand. Yeah. Yeah. And this is Erica's heart. All right? So this over here is Erica's box of treasures. It's rather big. And so Erica, I don't know if you guys have met Erica, but she's, you know, young and, uh, you know, engaging. So she's got lots of friends and stuff like that. So Erica, of course, she needs a cell phone, right? So when, when Erica goes out, she needs a cell phone because what would her life be like if she couldn't instantly update, like, her, her f- Facebook feed at any second? Like, she'd be no one. She'd be nothing. So she, she, she gets herself a cell phone, and it's really not a big deal, but it, it tethers itself to her heart so that every time it vibrates, she's like, ooh, I'm important. Ooh, somebody likes me. Ooh, I can check in right now. So with every payment she makes, every time it vibrates, everything she does on that, it connects itself to her heart and pulls on it just a little bit. But don't worry, she's got a couple years to pay for it, so it's got lots of room in there. And then, and then Erica goes along, and you know, Erica wants to go out with her friends, and what would make Erica more happy than a sparkly new blouse, right? 
She needs, she needs that. She needs that. She works hard. She should have fun. She needs that. But that's not enough. You know, she's, she's, um, she's going to need a car to go with that, right? Now, this, one, this one's a little bit bigger exper- expense. But in, with each new thing she buys, it tethers itself to her heart. And then after that, she decides to go shopping because, you know, she needs a little me time. And, and she just got a new check in the mail. So, so next she, she picks some things up. And then I don't know if you, you've met her husband, Derek. But this is the one super couple in our church. They actually, Derek and Erica got married and they became Derica. (laughs) So now that she's married, you know, they need for sure a new house, right? And it can't be, you know, this is a big deal. But don't worry, there's lots of room in here. This is a 30-year mortgage. Lots of room. But with every payment and everything she, room she decorates and every room she paints and everything she thinks about and every time they mow the lawn or take care of something, it's connecting her, itself to her heart, to her heart. So that over time you could add, this is just a sampling, but you could probably add hundreds and hundreds of things to this list. Little by little, more and more stuff tethers itself to her heart. And I want you to notice here, is any of this bad? None of it's bad. These are good gifts from God. But with each new treasure, a new tether is added to her heart until she is tied down. So what happens then when God is like over here and he says, Erica, I want you to come over here. Come here. I want you to come to Bulgaria on a mission trip with me. <laughs> okay, Erica, I want you to come over here. I want, you, I want you to meet this child because I want you to adopt this child and bring him into your household. Erica, I want, you to, I want you to come over here. I want you to serve these people. You see, with, with each new tie, it becomes harder and harder to move. That she's bound. That Erica is not free to go where God sends her. She's tied to a massive mortgage. She's not free to be part of God's work. Her time, her energy, her focus is already bound up in cell phone bills and car payments and, and new clothes and shopping and all the things she has to do for her house. She can't change, change jobs. She can't move. She can't take extra time off or give extra money because with every dollar I spend, every hour of my life I invest in that project, every thought I put into my stuff, my heart tethers itself to my treasure. Church, our hearts are tethered with hundreds and thousands of treasures right now. Our hearts follow our treasure. And so this is why in the Bible you will find... What does Jesus say when people say, Oh, Jesus, I'm going to come follow you. What's the first thing he says? He's like, ah, you, you can't bring that cell phone with you. Uh, you won't need a car. Only the staff in your hand. And you won't need extra clothes. Actually, just whatever's on your back, that'll do. And there won't be any shopping to do. And no, I'm sorry, you can't even have a house. Now you're free. You're free to follow me. You're free. When God says go, you can go. When God says stay, you can stay. When God says move, when he says do this, when he says do that, you are free. And I want you to see, see this heart right here, this heart that can go anywhere, that can move anywhere. That's the life we see in Jesus, right? The man had no need for cell phones. He didn't need a cell phone to tell him he was important. He didn't need a house to tell him that he was safe and secure. He didn't need clothes to, to project an image. He didn't need any of that. Now, now, 
Was his life good? Yeah, money, money says it can give you a good life. But last I checked, Jesus was the definition of good life, and he had none of that. But he had freedom. And that's what he wants for us. Thanks, Erica. Let's give Erica a round. There's one little problem with this, um, this whole thing of seeing the tethers on our heart. The problem with this is going to be in the next verse. The problem is, is that we don't think that we have a problem. So if you read this, it says right after this teaching, he's in the middle of a teaching on money. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Now get this connection here. Get this. Jesus is talking about money here. What in the world is that? What are eyes and seeing? What does that have to do with money? I want, you to, I want you to hear what he's saying. He's saying the first sign that you are greedy and consumeristic is you can't see that you're greedy and consumeristic. Money makes you blind. Like the last person to know that you're actually greedy and consumeristic will be you. So uh, I want you to think about this. Uh, if we were to take stop everything right now and I were to hand something out and it's an anonymous survey and I'm like, okay, please put a mark next to the sins with which you struggle. And you're all like, you're looking around like, oh no, somebody look over my shoulder. But it's anonymous, right? So like if we're honest, not pretending we can be, but if we were like selfishness, Lust, like at least half of you. <laughs> Anger, oh yeah. Pride, come on. Gossip, I mean, if we're really honest, a few of you are going to be like, ooh, gossip, stealing, maybe. Even hatred is probably, there's some of us who are like, oh, I struggle with that. But here's the thing I've noticed that if you go through all of these, you will see every one of these, these boxes ticked except greed. Like I, I have in my life, I have met I've met thousands of people who struggle with lust. I've met hundreds of people, who, if not thousands, who struggle with selfishness and pride. I've met dozens and dozens who struggle with deep problems of anger and bitterness. Um, on and on I could go. In fact, I've probably talked to someone who struggled with all of these, but never once, never once have I been like in a counseling session and someone says, you know what I really struggle with, Paul? It's greed. Never once. Now, isn't that interesting? I've never once heard someone say, I struggle with greed. Now, let's think about that real quick. Why does that one stand out? Um, let's reflect on this. We live in the wealthiest county, in a wealthy state, in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, in the wealthiest era of human history ever. We have more freedom, more disposable income than almost any other people in any other time ever. How is it then that we could be in that position and yet none of us struggle with greed? Not a single one of us. And Jesus says, money makes you blind. It dims the lamps, clouds the vision. So, it, so if you ask me, are you greedy? You know what will immediately happen in my mind and I'm betting in a lot of yours? I can immediately think of three, four, ten, a hundred people who have so much more than me. And immediately I put in my mind, oh, they're the greedy ones, not me. And it's all comparative. And then I've convinced myself in like 2.5 seconds, I'm not greedy. 
And so we all, we all sit around and we can all point to someone else who's got so much more, so much more consumed with that stuff. And so we all say, those people, those are the people who love money, they're greedy. And, and the question that this text forces us to ask, though, is what if we are those people? What if we're those people and we don't even realize it? You see, Jesus seems to suggest here that we need to snip a few lines before we can even see the greed or consumerism in our own lives. So, watch this. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus says that both God and money have this in common. At least this. Both God and money, they promise protection, security. Both God and money promise meaning in life. Both God and money promise to give us joy. Both God and money promise to give us a good life. Both God and money, both, both want to rule over you. They want to master you. Now here's where it gets interesting. If you, if you look at this translation and a number of translations, they do this, they reflect this. Notice that the last word there, money, is capitalized. Now, isn't that weird? Capitalized, a capital M. And if you, if you go into the text a little and you look at you realize that, that that's actually the, the Aramaic word mammon, but it's capitalized. It's like someone there thinks that this is a proper noun. That if you get, dig into the scholarship, you're going to realize that it's not, just a, a, it's not just a thing that when Jesus is talking about money here, he's talking about a name. Jesus is assigning personhood to money. That being mastered by money is not being mastered by a thing, but it's being mastered by evil personified. It's being mastered by, get this, a demon. Scholars believe that the reference there, the capital M money, Jesus is naming a demon. Money will command you. It will tell you where to work, where to live, what to drive. Money will threaten you. Without me, you'll be nothing. Without me, you won't have friends. Without me, you'll be insecure. Money will make big promises. I'll make you happy. I'll give you the rest you're looking for. I'll make people like you. I'll make you important. I'll give you what you really want in life. But can I remind you, money is a liar. Who are you going to serve? You cannot serve both God and Money. Just a reminder here, Jesus doesn't want your money. He wants your heart. He wants your heart to not be bound to earthly things being drugged down, but he wants your heart to be bound to God so that we are drawn to him. So, so what do we do? How do we get from this understanding that, that, that this is the way it works, that there's this evil force, money, with a capital M, that wants to master us, that wants to promise us false things, that wants to be our God. How do we break from that? How do we get out from under this incipient lie that money can give us what we want? And um, just two, two phrases that I come right out of the text that I want you to remember. We need to cut ties with things that drag your heart down to earth. You need to cut ties with things that drag your heart down to earth. Here's a few questions for us to ponder. Am I buying things that I don't need with money I don't have? Am I letting money tell me what to do with my life? Does money decide 
where I live, who my friends are, my career path? Am I sacrificing my things, my family, my relationship with God, my health for money? Am I sacrificing things to a demon called money? Jesus is so clear on this. We, if we want to follow him first, we've got to cut some of those ties. In fact, if you read through his, his teaching on money, it's almost exclusively focused not on giving your money away, although we have to do that. It's on cutting the ties to the things that drag us down, that drag us down, that stop us from following him. And can I just say, there are bright spots in here. I know a number of you who've turned down better job offers because you've decided your life is not going to be ruled by money. It's going to be ruled by who you want to be, how you can be a loving husband, father, wife, those types of things. And I, that's awesome. I know, I know those of you who've, who've actually downsized your house completely counterintuitive to what the world says because you want to be free. You don't want a mansion that's going to take all your time, that's going to bind your heart down. And I know some of you who have great possessions and yet you find ways to use those and leverage those for God. That, that This is not about how much money you have because you can be like Abraham and have everything and still be willing to give it all up for God, even your only son. And you can be really poor, and you can be greedy. This is about what is pulling your heart down. We need to cut the things that drag our hearts down to the earth. And the the second step is we need to put our treasures in things that draw us closer to God. We need to invest our money in the things that bind our heart to God, to his kingdom. That Instead of pulling us down, they, they drag us up. That with every treasure we give away, with every dollar we selflessly share, with every bit of ourselves that we give to God's purposes, we're loosening our grip on the things, on money, on the things of this world, and we're investing in God's kingdom so that we're eager, that we're drawn towards it, that we can't not be part of it. That with every gift, gift we're giving, it's a proclamation of faith. This world is not my home. My citizenship is in heaven. Christ is my treasure. His love is better than life. I will seek first his kingdom. I am no longer a slave to the world. I am free. My heart belongs to Christ alone. And that, I want you to hear this. This is, that is the motivation for Christian giving. It's not fear. It's not guilt. This is why we give. We give because it's a proclamation that mammon has no power over our lives. Our lives are too valuable to invest in junk. We give because we want more of God. We give because we want real freedom. And we know that real freedom does not come from more stuff. It comes from a heart fully devoted to God. So let's get practical for a minute. What does this actually look like? How do we live this out? And this is going to sound so basic, but something we need to talk about. For 5,000 years... Believers have been doing this practice where they set aside 10% of their income and they give it to the purposes of God, period, the mission of God. This is something that for 5,000 years since, uh, you know, you can read about it in Leviticus 27, Numbers 18, Deuteronomy 14, they would take 10% of their income and they would give it back to God. It's a bit more complex than that, but you get the idea. 
if this is a new concept for you, I, I would say as you sit down with your finances, this is the place to start. When you think about how can I systematically, regularly cut the things that are binding my heart to this earth and tie my heart to the things of God, this is where you start. It's, it's, I would recommend you sit down, you open up your finances, and you say, oh, no. What would God have us give? Like, what are the things that are dragging my heart down that need to be cut off? And, and what do I need to give away? And you sit down, and, and some of you, 10% sounds like an outrageous sum. So I just say, start somewhere. What's God, what's your first step? What does that look like? Now, let me just say, on tithing, tithing is explicitly commanded in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, there's just some type of an assumption there. So let's, let's talk about the upside of tithing here. The upside is that it creates a discipline of systematically cutting the lines that bind our heart to the earth and, and connecting them to God. The downside of tithing is legalism. Like you can get caught in this mind frame that if I give 10% to God, then I'm a good person and God owes me. If I give 10% to God and to his purposes, then somehow he'll leave the rest alone. But that's just not true. You cannot buy God's love. You cannot buy his favor. And he doesn't just want 10%. He wants all of you. In the Old Testament, 10% was a minimum, too. They gave tithes and offerings, so there you go. Which brings us to the next thing. In, this, in the New Testament, the standard is this, sacrificial giving. Um, if you want to know the New Testament standard, it's Mark chapter 12. So they're sitting in church just like this, and there are offering boxes just like ours, except I think they're up front and they're kind of big. And so all these wealthy guys come in and throw their money down, and they literally at the time would have trumpets blow when they do it. Look at me. That's awesome. And like, I don't know. You just imagine them like dabbing or something afterwards. And so, I mean, it's, it's the ancient Near Eastern version of that. And, uh, and then, quietly, this poor widow comes forward and she puts two pennies in. And nobody notices except Jesus. And he stops everything. And he tells his disciples, hey, I know you saw the other guys. Did you see that? That is a heart that's free. That is a gift given in trust and love. That's someone who can't afford anything. And she just gave her two pennies into that jar. And that's what I'm excited about. That's what Jesus wants for us. A heart that is free so if you're asking the question right now, like, how much should I give? I'm just going to say, you need to give money away until your heart's free. <laughs> oh, yes. And if that feels comfortable to you, come talk. The other side is that some of you are um, sitting there thinking, my finances are a complete wreck. Like, I would give, I want to give, I have, I have no I, I have no bandwidth. I, and can I just say to you, you've you got to get a handle on this. Personal finances can wreck, they can wreck so much of your life. They can wreck the way you, you look at yourself. They can wreck the way you, you relate to God. They can wreck, 
wreck your relationships. So many marriages get wrecked by this type of stuff. And can I say, you need to get help. You need to get help. We have people in the church. We have personal financial counselors in the church who volunteer their time for this type of thing. If you need help, please come talk to me. Please come talk to one of the elders. We will point you in the right direction, get you connected with someone. So that's the first thing I want to say. The second thing I want to say, though, is if your finances are wrecked, you can still be poor and generous. Don't make it an excuse not to be generous. You can be generous with your time. You can be generous with your home. You can be generous in so many other ways. So as we close this, I, I just want to give us a picture. Like, how do we get out from under this lie? And, and I want you to know, if we want to get free from the lie that money gives us the good life, because it's insipid, insipid, insipid. It's not enough to say, yeah, I should do something. It's one of those things where if you want to succeed, like every other aspect in life, you need a plan. And so at the beginning of the service, we we gave you this little card here. And I just want to walk you through this, that you and I, all of us need this. None of us is exempt for this. We need to go home and we need to pray, God, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. You've entrusted it to me for a short time for your glory, my good. What do you want me to do with it? What do you want me to do with it? Because it's yours, it's not mine. I have it for a short time, and then it'll either be sold in the yard sale or dropped in the, in the junk heap. God, what do you want me to do with it so that it's an investment in your kingdom and not wasted on myself, not wasted on selfishness, brokenness, furthering the greed and perversion of our world? So I'm going to encourage you to just take this card and make this a practical tool for you to go home, sit down, and if you're married, sit down with your spouse, and actually look, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And make a commitment, Lord, Lord willing, I want my heart to be bound to you. By your grace, I will make a commitment to give. And I'm giving you three categories there. That's just made up. You can make up your own categories. I would say, generally speaking, we talk about something, if you, if you, if Wherever your home church is, whether it's this one or another, you should be giving something to the local church. You should be giving to mission. And I mean that in the broadest possible sense, the mission of God. Whether that's a specific missionary, we have great ones. Or whether that is a a, a homeless shelter or something like that, you should be giving to the mission of God. And then I'm also encouraging you, this last one is really crucial. Listen to this. I will also set aside X number of dollars so that I am free. To go when you say go, to share when you say share, to serve when you serve. When we do this, when we regularly, intentionally cut the ties to this earth and bind our heart to God, we will become more like Christ. And with every gift we give, we will be making a proclamation that this world is not our home My citizenship is in heaven. Christ is my treasure. His love is better than life. His love is better than life. My life does not consist in what I own. Christ alone is my life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, your generosity to us. It is great. God just reminded uh, the sunshine down on us and, and the smell of the spring flowers and, and the goodness of this nation that you've given to us, of just the wealth that we, we take so much for granted. God, the wealth of relationships, 
and God, most importantly, the wealth of your own son, that you sent your son for us, who though he was rich, became poor on our behalves, that we might receive your righteousness, your riches, the riches of your grace. God, I pray that we would live as a people who are free, free to serve you, free to follow you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.